Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I am your host, Tara Clark. You know, here on Modern Mom Probs, we're trying to solve the world's problems, but if we can't, hey, at least we're having fun talking about it. Today's topic is an interesting one. We're talking about freedom from influence in a world where everyone is trying to get something from you. I am joined by Jessica Elefante. Jessica Elefante is a writer and a former BS artist who spent the last few decades examining what it means to be a human in the modern world. She is the author of the new book, Raising Hell, Living Well, Freedom from Influence in a World Where Everyone Wants Something from You. Her writing has captivated people in the realms of technology, capitalism, influence, motherhood, and more. She's been featured in The Guardian, Huffington Post, Bustle, and so many other publications. As the founder of the acclaimed Folk Rebellion and a critic of today's culture, her award-winning work shines a light on these times. Jessica, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I first found out about your new book because I subscribed to Joe Piazza's Substack, and she was like raving about it and raving about you. And I said to myself, I need to know her. Like, I need to meet <laughs> Jessica. I need to like get all of this information, talk about all of this kind of stuff. So I really just got kind of like cold called you <laughs> essentially by, I, I, no, I didn't cold call you. I slid into your DMs <laughs> literally. And, and was- <laughs> I'm grateful for it. <laughs> so, so you are a former or reformed brand strategist, an award-winning brand strategist, no less, who left all of that behind. You're like, I'm going to just shed all this and be sort of like a, a truth seeker instead. So tell everyone a little bit about yourself. Yeah, for sure. Well, first, shout out to Joe Piazza, because any recommendation from her is, I love her people and the people she's put me in touch with. She's absolutely incredible. So I'm so glad that you found me through her. No, yeah. So I accidentally ended up in a career. I wanted to be a writer my entire life, but I needed to pay the bills. And it was much easier for me to find creativity outlets in advertising and on behalf of brands. So yeah, so I fell face first into a career as a brand strategist. I was handling all of their digital marketing at the time when brands were really starting to figure out that the internet wasn't going away and it was a place where they had to play, but they didn't know how to do it. And so I, as a natural storyteller and somebody who went to school, you know, studied photography in Greece and Italy, I was like, I can do this. I know how to do this. But I also spoke the old language, which is what I call like the the C-suite, the guards, right? The ones that were the gatekeepers or decision makers. And so I was able to explain the internet and awareness and community in a way that made sense to them when they were used to like phone books and billboards and you know postcards, like postcards, direct mail. Exactly. <laughs> and so it just so happened that 
my timing was right. And I could kind of toe the line between those two worlds. And my career really took off. And, you know, I had a lot of success, you know, however people think of it in a traditional sense. You know, I made a lot of money. I won a lot of awards. A lot of my clients went on to become, you know, multi-million, sometimes billion dollar companies. And then you get to the place where you're then invited to work with the established brands like the credit card companies and the giant food corporations, right? Because those budgets are much bigger. And so you can do more with them. But it was because of the fact that it was so digital in nature that I ended up just burning out completely. We didn't know what it was called back then. Today, I would have been diagnosed with digital dementia. I had malaise, brain fog, disassociation. I used to tell people that like, when you drive your car from point A to point B and you can't remember the experience. I was months like that. Actual months would go by. And I kept saying, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And the memory loss was the most terrifying thing. And so it wasn't until I went without my devices, forced, not by choice, on a family vacation, my now ex-husband took away everything. He took away all my devices, everything. I told my boss I was actually going to be on vacation, not available. And eight days later, it was like someone flipped a switch on my brain and I, all my ailments were gone. I was crystal clear and I realized at that moment what it was. And so I went back to my clients and my work and I was like, hey, I'm going to sit here with a pen and paper and take notes. And they're like, yeah, no, you're not. The world, you know, all the tropes and things we hear, the world is undeniably digital. You have to open your computer. So I decided at that moment, if I couldn't make change within the organizations, I would just leave and make change. And so I started Folk Rebellion, which was my sort of unplugging, crusading mission back before anyone even knew what a digital detox was. And so I guess there's two moments of change, right, to lead to now, but that's the brand strategy moment of like, I can't do this anymore, but I didn't feel guilty about it. I have to say the guilt didn't come till later for the work that I did. I just felt exhausted by it. Yeah. When you're in that moment, I'm sure it was the the burnout more for than- sure. Yeah, more than anything else. Talk than to me my about morals. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that probably came secondly, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Talk to me about Folk Rebellion. Yeah. So when I left, you know, corporate brand strategy and decided to go off on my own, I knew that, you know, if I had had, I didn't get a cell, cell phone until I was 20, right? And I didn't grow up with a computer and internet in my house. We had all these things at a much later date, but We're I probably became, the same age. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna be 45 in a month. Birthday! Happy birthday! I'm gonna be 44 in March. I'll see. I got you by a little bit. Same, same. So we're at that nexus, right? And it makes for a really interesting experience in the world. And so I knew if I became this addicted and unwell from the internet and from my devices and from the culture of overwork and all of that, you know, Hayes was two at the time. I couldn't imagine what is this going to be like for him that he doesn't even know any different. So I was like, okay, we don't, we can strike a mindful balance with our technology and we can push back on, you know, the narratives that we have to be accessible 24 seven. You know, at the time my boss was emailing me two in the morning, four in the morning, I'd wake up to text messages at 6am. If I didn't respond, it was just kind of madness and crazy because we're given these tools and these devices, but no code of ethics on how to use them. And so I was like, well, I'm going to be the person to talk about how we should use this. Right. 
So I decided I was going to be kind of like the citizen Jane of technology, right? I'm going to just go out there, make a whole bunch of noise, draw attention to my personal experience, but also explain how these things were happening, you know, behind the scenes to get people to stay on their devices, stay within their communities. And, you know, my focus was really to educate the adults so that the children had a chance to learn and be better. And it was cool because... I didn't realize how many people were feeling like me, so overwhelmed and exhausted. And like I had said, there was no term for this. You know, I was one of the early ones, but as we do until we really figure out what's manipulating us or persuading us or, you know, what the sort of cultures we've kind of consumed unknowingly in our life, I just ended up recreating the same problem all over again, but this time in an altruistic fashion of like, I'm going to save the world for my kids. And burnt out again. So I shut Folk Rebellion down in 2020 as a profitable sort of lifestyle media brand around the concept of, you know, mindful balance with technology. And today I eat crow and say, I don't think we can have one the way that it's built right now. Do you genuinely feel that in your heart? Yes. Yes. And that is after to almost 10 years of telling people that all they needed was tips, tricks, hacks, you know, mindfulness around these devices. And it's not the people's fault. It's not any of our fault. It is the fault of the people who are creating them because, and this is kind of what my book is about, is looking beyond that immediate, you know, whether it's a product or a person in front of you of what are the influences behind them? What are the motivations behind them? And so if you look at something like a platform, a social media platform, my experience with it can never change until the influences who have built it and their motivations change. Because right now, their motivations are to keep me online as often as possible. And they are manipulating me right through my biology. They're hiring neuroscientists to figure out the exact moment that I am going to opt out or move to another platform or close my app. And so if people are literally unscrupulously trying to figure out how to trigger our innate human instincts for their benefit, but my harm, no, because it's it's my human instinct, right? And so the only way that gets fixed is to actually fix what happens in the creation process. And for me, that's regulation. So I do think it's possible, but it's not possible from our end. It's not possible for us to go on a digital diet. It is only changes possible when we do top down. You, you know, it's funny, Jess, years ago, and I think you'll appreciate this. When I worked for my boss, I was an executive assistant at Nickelodeon under the EVP of digital at the time. He now currently runs Sesame Street. But at the time, I wanted a BlackBerry. And I was like, oh, I can't wait. I need to get a BlackBerry because I need to be connected with him. And he has a BlackBerry and he's important. And I got the BlackBerry and then we never turned back. And I was like, you know, why? Why was I so silly to so desperately want this like really cool shiny piece of technology and then I became forever connected to a device ever since then. Yeah, I mean it, it's not I mean we all want the next new interesting thing especially if it's going to connect us more we think or we've been told to the people that we love and are in community with, right? And then at the same time just I mean society went right along that stream with you. So, you know, I talk about how I try and 
opt out of certain things or have balance with it, but it's becoming so much progressively harder every day that goes by. So as my son's doctors adopt a fully digital platform now that you have to use your phone to scan, you know, what if I didn't have a phone? What if I didn't have a smartphone? What if my phone was broken? Like I can't check in at the doctor or I can't put a request in for his, you know, medicine. And so as communities and businesses and organizations fully transfer more to this sort of world, then it becomes increasingly harder for us to opt out or push back in any way. That really frustrates me too that they're doing that. My mother, full disclosure, does not have a smartphone. She has no access to the internet. And I love her for that. She is like classic 1994, right? (laughs) She does have a flip phone and that's how she and I communicate. But if she needs anything on the internet, she'll call me and say like, hey, Tara, can you go online? And actually just the other day, she had something for her insurance company. If she got her flu vaccine, then they were giving her a gift card to Panera. And so (laughs) speaking of influence, (laughs) right? Oh my gosh. But but just hearing you say that just made it sound so much funnier than it actually is. If she got her flu vaccine, then she gets a gift card to Panera. Your your flu vaccine is sponsored by this sandwich and soup. Like, it's mental once you start to think about it. It's bananas. It's bananas. So she called me and said, like, can you please log on and let them know that I got my flu shot so that I can get my Panera gift card? Because <laughs> who is- <laughs> doesn't want a free sandwich? Of course. Right? It's soup season. She needs soup. <laughs> <laughs> so I did. But I, I think about you know the people that it leaves behind who don't have access yes. to be able yes. to log on or call their daughter and ask them to log on. And so, or the people who by choice say, I don't want to be a part of this. And, and you really can't. Someone the other day, who was I talking to? I don't remember. It doesn't matter. The other day, someone was saying to me, like, you know, we often Google ourselves and say like, oh, where's my standing in Google? And then it says a lot about a person. You know, are you identifiable? Do you exist? What is your body of work? This and that. But then it also says something when someone doesn't have a oh, Google that's, presence. That's terrifying. And I never thought that. I mean, I'm <laughs> like my mom, right? Like she doesn't because she's offline and, and that's that's just her. And again, she's part of a generation because she's 68 years old now that, that doesn't necessarily have it. But for a 40-year-old person, most people tend to have an online presence. So I, I just thought that was interesting that someone says, oh, yeah. yeah, what does that actually say about a person I, who doesn't have a trail? I actually just had one of these conversations the other day. Somebody knew someone, they were going on a date with them and they were in their early 30s and there was nothing. And they're like, you know, they're a sociopath. Like, <laughs> you know, yeah. I I cannot go out with that person. Why have they scrubbed themselves from the internet, especially at that age, right? So yeah, it, it's everything signals something in some way. But just back on the leaving people out bit, It's kind of how I think about cash. I get really upset when I see businesses trying to go to an all credit card model. It's in my neighborhood now, there was a few. And I was like, it's not right. Like you're, I think of, you know, there's been plenty of times I've not had a bank account as a dirtbag teenager or 20 year old, or that I have made money and I needed, I made cash tips or that the people who, you know, don't have the ability to set up bank accounts for different reasons. And that's 
definitely the elderly. And so it just makes me very angry that we are forced into this sort of accepted norm because the structure has said this is the way it is now. And that is very much the same way I feel about technology, which is why programs like Wait Until Eighth are so important because your child is being forced into accepting a cell phone at a certain age if everyone else is doing it. So again, it comes about like giant communities coming together and saying, we're not going to stand for this. And so that's kind of where I think the positive opportunity is. I don't want to be so dark and depressing all the right. time. Right. No, I know. I'm sorry. I brought the vibes down. I got to no, bring no, the high I think vibes. I did. <laughs> no, you didn't. I got to bring the high vibes. But, you know, let, let's talk about wait until eighth because I think that's important. You have a 12 year old. I have an 11 year old. My son does not have a phone. He does have a tablet, which he games on and he calls his friends, but it doesn't leave the house because, you know, it's a tablet. He's always like, I can't put it in my pocket. It's not the same, mom. <laughs> I was like, what are you going to do on a phone versus a tablet? They're the same thing. One goes in your pocket and the other one doesn't. But I don't know. Does your son have a device? He does, but he has a Gab phone. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with them. So, you know, we live in New York City. I want him to feel comfortable in his neighborhood and independent, but also smart and, you know, have access. I don't think he needs to be accessible 24 seven. That is something we talk about all the time of like, you shouldn't feel afraid if you don't have a phone on you. You shouldn't feel afraid if someone can't get a hold of you. Like there's humans everywhere. Turn to someone and ask for help if you need it. Just that sort of idea that they must be monitored and tracked all the time to feel safe. I don't want to instill that in him. But so he did get a phone because all his friends had phones and he needed to communicate with them. And so we waited till middle school and I said, I am only getting you one that will allow for text messaging, phone calls and taking and receiving photos. No internet access, no games. No, that's not true. They added a game and I love them for it. Chess. Oh, I love that. He can play chess. And here's the thing. It's novelty. So the kids with the smartphones want to play on his phone, but it gave him the ability to communicate and stay in touch with them and, you know, say, okay, we're going to meet at this bodega at this time for snacks, whatever. But it has no power. And it's like, I call it the rock because it just sits like a rock and he forgets it all the time because there's no allure to it. And I am going to keep using this for as long as humanly possible. Yeah, yeah. I've heard good things about the pinwheel phone. I have I friends. It's it's sort of the same thing. I think it's a, a similar thing. It doesn't have the internet. It just has texting and telephones, like phone calls, and that's about it. But I only just learned about it last week, so uh, I'll have to do some due diligence. But I think it's a competitor to Gab Wireless. I mean, it's really been a great alternative. But again, like we had, I got another family to join. And also, so he's not the only Gab kid. Most of the kids are smartphone kids, but him and his other friend are the only Gab ones. But I do notice some of them are now rethinking that and considering switching to a Gab phone. So it's good. You know, these conversations are really important. And, you know, I think everyone doesn't realize how quickly it shifts things when you add a smart device to a kid's life. This episode is brought to you by Modern Mom Style Box. Upgrade your wardrobe and enjoy unlimited styles for just $60 a month. Modern Mom Style Box is the first rental clothing subscription designed exclusively for moms and moms-to-be. Get started today with a free trial. Use promo code PTO. 
Absolutely. That's why we're kicking the can, but intentionally kicking the yeah, can. We're, we're intentional about most things we do. So we're definitely in, intentional about when and if my son will be getting a phone. So I want to go back to talking about influence and social media influence. As a content creator, some people may call me an influencer. I am not. I can't, I can't influence my own family to do things. So I can't influence the public to do things. So I like just to call myself a content creator. I feel like that's safer and more accurate. But having said that, I am very aware of the influence that social media has on us, on our parenting styles, on our shopping choices, on our politics. You know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Why did you think it was so important to raise the alarm on this level of influence? I think what I've noticed recently and in the past couple of years was that before, you know, in marketing, I mean, I was of the era where brands actually weren't cool. Liking businesses was not cool. And I know I'm a little bit older and it wasn't even as you know, I think of like, like the 1970s, right? Like they damn the man down with the man, like, right. But there became, and I was one of the ones that helped create it was, you know, lifestyle brands and lifestyle brands you feel connected to, and they help you hone your identity and you align yourself with certain products, whether it's a certain type of car or a certain type of pair of yoga pants, or even the type of applesauce that you purchase to put on your shelf in your refrigerator. And people wanted to be seen a certain way, especially as the world became more visual and we all saw into each other's lives and homes all the time. And so it became very accepted, right? This alignment with products and with consumerism and with businesses. And so that happened. But now what I'm noticing is, well, I think what everyone's noticing is there's a badge of honor, right? To be sponsored, to be branded, to be synonymous with these different, it's it's like a an actual desire and goal for young people to say, I want this brand to anoint me cool, right? And so these are all very false status, right? They're false fulfillment. But I know that as an adult who used to swing and wield influence to get people to buy things that the brands don't care about you. The businesses don't give a shit about you. Every single thing they do is about a bottom dollar. It is about a profit. Even in their good intention marketing and their cause marketing and their donations for whatever the hot button issue is of the moment. That is only to make the person, the consumer, like them more. But I noticed that most people didn't get that. They didn't understand that. And kids specifically, again, it comes back to the kids, didn't think there was anything wrong with that because they didn't even know that. And so when I had my final like epiphany with Folk Rebellion recreating the same wheel, like, you know, I don't, spoiler alert, like I had one absolute mental breakdown from exhaustion over work to fast forward and recreate the same thing over again. But this time, you know, for the good of the world, you right. know, altruistic. There was a cause, right. Yeah, there was the a philanthropy cause. behind it. it. I realized behind the technology and the digital that I was speaking about was actually something much greater. And it was this culture of influence. And that tech and digital was just another tool being wielded to manipulate us, maneuver us, persuade us. And behind that was 
influence. And so that could be anything from politics to politicians to the roadway system in your town. You know, I use influence very broadly in the book on purpose because I want people to start to see it everywhere from this, what time they wake up in the morning. Why do you wake up at that time? Why do we have a morning time, right? Like there's so many layers to all of this. And, you know, at the back of the book, there's something called like the onion technique of understanding why do we wake up and go to work at this time on this day and drop our kids? Well, I can tell you, actually, it's because of this revolution and because of this and because, and so it's just to get people to start maybe just like, becoming a little bit more aware and awake of what's happening. Because right now I just think it's not, no, it's not that I think people are unwell, unhappy, a bit unhinged. Society is not doing well. I don't care where you fall on what spectrum. We can all agree on that, especially in America. And so if we keep turning to like escapism or a quick fad diet or some, you know, Instagram, TikTok or mental health expert to try and answer the things that are ailing us. We're just feeding the beast. We're not actually looking at what the much bigger problem is, which is the larger influences at play. And so my book, you know, I don't tell a person how to live. I just want them to think about how and why they're living the way they are that they should choose to get off the train for themselves. Yeah, if they want to. And if they want to be on the train, just be aware of why you're on the train. Right. Right? So, look out the window every once in a while. Put your head exactly. up. From, take your head up from Listen, the phone. Look yeah. out the window on the train. I'm not like immune to any of this. You know, I find myself just like everybody else looking in the mirror. What can I do? Can I tweak this? Can I, I wish I had more of a tan or, you know, just, I was on my book tour in LA and San Francisco and I, almost went and rebooked an event that I had to postpone for the next night. I would have had to fly back again and then miss my son's first day at school. And I, you know, because I'm, I'm of the generation of the girl boss movement and the lean in movement, and I'm an independent woman and I can get shit done. And I'm not letting this moment pass me by. I'm going to squeeze it for everything that it's worth. And I caught myself and I was like, no, no, you're not getting back on that plane to go back. It didn't work out the first time for whatever reason. You can go another time, but you're going to get on the plane and you're going to go home and you're going to get a good night's sleep and you are going to see your kids. And I, so that was like, I, I was able to see that this time when the other two times I never would have. Yeah, because we're sort of just blindly following that influence that yes. we- Conditioned. Yeah, programmed. That, it's that's what it is. Yes. You know, lately, anecdotally, like my family and I, we've been big on sort of getting off that train and being more aware of things. My son recently started a different school, and it's a different model of a school. It's it's a private school. It's called Acton Academy, which they actually have all over the country, and it has a very different model. It is not a traditional teacher in front of the classroom lecturing to the kids kind of thing. And to explain it to friends outside or friends from our other traditional public school, it's sort of challenging to do that because they're so conditioned that this is what school should look like. This is the only way that education should be. We don't understand what you're talking about. And let me tell you, my son is thriving. Amazing. I 
wish that everyone could go there and understand and let kids be kids and just let them figure their own stuff out. And it is brilliant. And he is Bravo happy. to you. Thank Bravo you. to you. That's Thank really you. awesome. That's really awesome. And there's a whole section in the book called, it's based around the ideas of pushback, right? So when you go and you do decide to, you know, divest from influence or do what's right for you, right? Or right for your kids. And you, it makes people uncomfortable. It does. It, it makes people uncomfortable. You know, my, I, I've been living my whole life, like, you know, not by the traditional way, even though I ended up doing exactly the traditional thing, but it's constant pushback from people because by you not following the you know, tried and true path, the narrative that everyone is supposed to, you know, abide by, it challenges their way of thinking and their way of existing. And that makes people uncomfortable. Yes. They don't <laughs> like to admit that's exactly what it is. Because if you're taking your children out of the school to put them in a different school, then those other people are saying, oh, well, gosh, like, like you said, it's challenging their own beliefs. It's challenging the, you know, 100 year of, of educational system. And w- what made me even think to mention this is when you were talking about why do we go to work on a Monday morning? Why are there the weekends? The industrial revolution is what's put all of that in place. And once you take a step back and then inform people of the hows and the whys and the whats, then they go, oh, so then they start to question their own activities and they're like, wait a tick. Yeah. And guess what? If they decide that school's great for their kids and they want to work and then take the weekends off, that's great. But at least they know how come they are doing that. And like with um, my book, I kept saying, it's not a how to, it's a how come, right? Like, I just want you to know like how come, you know, bad grammar, but like why we are the way we are, why we are making these sort of decisions. And so- if you still want to, you know, work like a crazy person because you realize that you grew up in a culture that made achievement and busyness feel like it equaled success, then go for it. But at least you're aware of that. Yes. You're not- That's what it is. It all starts with awareness. I say this in every podcast episode I do, whether it's talking about tantrums or emotionally intelligent children or, I don't know, everything influencing, it always starts with awareness. Yes, it does. It's like the ultimate gift. It really is. But our society wants us to not be aware, which is so tough. We have such a, an ability now to escape into anything and to not like tune into our own intuition or be left alone with our thoughts long enough to have a second thought. So I think that's uh, one of the easiest things to do is just kind of allow space for your own intuition to kind of come into it. Yeah, because it's so easy to grab your phone and then just blindly scroll. It's just easier to do that than just about anything else. Exactly. Exactly. And I I just I think that you know, people feel bad, right? They feel bad and guilty. Why do I do this? Why do I look at this instead of my kids or my partner or this or why? But like I'll say to people, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Like it's just not. And they just look at me when I say that and that you can see like the relief, you know, that like it's <sighs> we've been given these things that are harming us. And, you know, there was just, I have to fully read it, but it was in California. I was talk, giving a talk two nights ago in LA and I was like, I think the way through is consumer protection. You know, Ralph Nader, the crusader, he is the one who totally changed like the auto industry with seatbelts and stop signs and 
all these different things. And they were so afraid it was going to ruin a whole industry, you know, forget about the actual humans that could die, right? But God saved the industry. And he crusaded and Ralph Nader, the crusader changed everything for us and set up like all the consumer protection for the government, right? These sort of different programs and he's he's still doing it. He's amazing. My dream is to get onto his podcast because he has a Ralph Nader radio hour. But if I can prove that my relationship failed because someone's biology rewired their brain to desire some this over this, or my child became addicted because of this. If you can start to prove these things, California two days ago just said that you could, so now all these lawsuits are coming in. You know, I lost my child, this, you know, because the tech companies are no longer allowed to say that they're just a platform, but that they're actually a product. There was like something that the judge said, no, like that, that's what the loophole they were hiding behind so that you couldn't sue them. And so I I have to fully read it. I don't want to speak too much out of turn because I haven't immersed myself in it, but I do know that this is the first thing that I have seen where maybe we can start to hold their ass to the flames. Yeah. Because it, it, we need to do it. You know, it's interesting that you said that you tell people it's not your fault. Sometimes my, my son, no, well, my son definitely plays a lot of Roblox. And, and my husband will say to him, it's not your fault. It's designed that way. Exactly. But we can put parameters in place and set boundaries so that you can eat your food when you need to eat your food. Go to the toilet when you need to go to the toilet. Take a shower when you're supposed to take a shower. Because left to their own devices, these kids are not going to willingly choose to get off these devices. They're designed that way. They're designed that way. And they're incredibly addictive. And they don't even know how to operate in the world yet. And we don't know how to manage our own technology. Why would we ever think that one of our kids could do it? You know what I mean? So yeah, I think you're doing great, mom. You know, you set those boundaries. Like you you talk about it, right? And there's not always the answer. Like, I don't know what the fuck the next thing is going to be that comes down, but I know that we can return to what are our values? What do we believe in? And, you know, that sort of open communication. So Hayes will come to me and he'll tell me, you know, things that make him uncomfortable or things that came up that he's a question about. And instead of me yelling at him, you know, 1990s parenting style, like I, we actually sit and talk about it. And so there was just as an example, a kid was outside his school a couple of weeks ago and gave him a flyer for a party and said, oh, you should come to the city. We're having a party. Okay. I mean, I was a preteen. I remember this happening. I've been invited to a million parties that I wasn't supposed to be at. And (laughs) the kid said, scan that barcode for all the information. And as he was walking inside and a teacher took it and snatched it out of his hand and said, don't you ever scan that barcode and ripped it up. So I never got to see it. Hayes came home and told me about it. And he's like, what was on the barcode, mom? And I was like, well, isn't that a great question? We don't know. We will never know. But here's all the things it could do. And here's all the things it could be. And here's all the things I don't ever want you to have access to or see or, you know, I can't control that. The only thing that we can control is 
what do we believe we should be doing in these moments? And I said, if you ever have a question or you're unsure, the answer is probably not do it and then bring it to me and we figure it out because I can't possibly think of every way that this stuff is being utilized to exploit these children. And so it was a great conversation and it really reaffirmed that those are the most important things than anything. Absolutely. A thousand percent. A year ago, Mr. Beast was, are you familiar with Mr. Beast? You have a 12 year old. Yes. And (laughs) I've kept him mostly off YouTube. And so I've been waiting for this moment and he's come up this week and we just had a huge conversation about it last night. So bring it on. I'm familiar. Okay. So it actually, it's not even Mr. Beast himself. He's a lovely person, but Mr. Beast was opening a burger restaurant at a mall in New Jersey. And we waited online for 12 hours to meet him fine. We met him. He was lovely. It was a great experience. It was one of those, like, my son will remember that for the rest of his life kind of things. I definitely won, like, mom of the year in his eyes. (laughs) But as we were waiting in line, because we knew it was going to be a long wait, we didn't know it would be 12 hours, but we knew it would be a while. We brought my son's iPad, and he was playing whatever games were on the iPad. It it was not, like, web-based because he didn't have Wi-Fi. He was just playing was already saved on there. Anyway, people because there were thousands and thousands of people online waiting to meet Mr. Beast, were airdropping him penises. And... Oh, my God. When it first I mean, I'm not surprised. No, I didn't. I didn't know that something like that was going to happen. It did, obviously. And so when it first happened online, he didn't want to say anything. And I was like, buddy, you got quiet. You know, what's wrong? What's bothering you? He's like, nothing. And I was like, you could tell me. It's okay. Because he and I have a very good relationship. And he showed me and I was like, <gasps> I was shocked. I, 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 could, I couldn't even believe it. And I was like, it's not Thank your fault. God. It had nothing to do with you. We're going to turn off the airdrop. Mommy's going to delete these videos or, and videos and the, and the um, images. And it was so scary because we were so vulnerable, right, at that moment in time. And so that, that when you said about Hayes with the QR code, it could have been that. You know, it really could have been anything. But for Jack, he 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 did see it just popped up. Oh, right. His it's computer. not his choice. It, it wasn't just his choice. An access just point. An access point. Exactly. So it's so important to have these open conversations with your kids. Not get mad at them for you to be calm and regulated so that they stay calm and regulated so that they hear your message. But it is so important to be able to talk openly about that and to let them know that those types Good of things aren't their fault for spotting you. that and like being able to read him in that moment and then talk about it. And so that's the thing I, I do want to say. So a lot of people will say, oh, well, I could just take everything away and not allow anything. And I remember this girl, I went to go visit a friend at college and her roommate had stacks and stacks and stacks of Coca-Cola cases in the corner of her room. And I was like, what's up with that girl? And she's like, oh, her parents never allowed her to have soda. So she had literally like to the ceiling soda. So I think of that every time I think of Hayes and what I'm going to give him and what I'm not going to give him. So instead of just banning it and making a taboo, you know, There's certain things I do let him use and certain things I won't. But more than anything, it's talking about why we have these, right? So it's not just you can't have the iPad. It's, well, I don't want you to have the iPad unlocked or in your room by yourself because I can't possibly think of all the different ways in which you might have an access point, right? I think I'm trying to, and he'll say to me, well, mom, you know, it was a, a video game that we had downloaded for travel and there was an advertisement of a 
another video game that was a conveyor belt. And on the conveyor belt was a cartoon girl that the hand kept coming in on the conveyor belt and taking off her clothes. And he came to me and he told me, he, well, he didn't tell me that. He said he wanted the game off his device. And I knew right then. And I said, well, what happened? And he's like, I'm just mad. I'm a little mad at you because I didn't want to see that. And you told me that you set up all the blocks. And I, so we had this another whole conversation. I said, I did. I have so many blocks that it's annoying to actually use this. It crashes half the time. I said, but that's content within an advertisement. So they can say that it's targeted for the right audience, the right age, but there's so much advertising that they are not having humans look at it. They just have, you know, maybe it's AI, maybe it's a checkpoint that says that it's a cartoon ad, but they didn't see that it was a cartoon ad making a girl naked, right? So they can't control that. And so again, that was just another point of like, we used it as a moment to talk about how these things are used or could be abused and why I have these, you know, sort of boundaries for him. Yeah. It's so important. It's so important. Again, Just- I'm like a black cloud. I'm so sorry. No, you're not. <laughs> you're not. These are important things. That's why you're here talking about it. These are modern mom problems and we are not the only ones going through it. That's right. We're not. And I do think that it's the moms that are going to change things. Yes, I think so too. I a thousand percent think so too, especially ones that read your book, Jessica. Yes. (laughs) Where can we find your book? I love that plug. Thank you so much for the segue. So Raising Hell, Living Well, Freedom from Influence in a World Where Everyone Wants Something from You including me, is available wherever books are sold. So you can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org, support your local indie. Obviously, I'm the offline girl. I say walk right into your neighborhood bookstore, make a friend at the counter. But yeah, I would love everyone to read my book. The whole goal of it was broken into six parts. You start reading, understanding how we're under the influence and the things that we're not even really conscious of. And then through to the sixth part, which is is above the influence. And in it, it, it is really important understanding how influential we are, even if we don't consider ourselves influencers in our own four walls, with our kids, within our communities, with our platforms, that whether you mean to be or not, everyone is influential in some way. And how can you use that in a positive way and in a good way. And so I think a perfect example of that is how you have this podcast that is helping other moms try to figure out how to navigate this world. So yeah, that's all about my book and where you can find it. And well, I don't want to influence you. I really just want to be as uh, true to me as possible and say that I put my life into this. And it is everything that I know and everything that I believe brings hope for the future. So I really do hope that you buy it, but not so I become a millionaire, but so that we can save the world for our kids. Yes. Let's do it for the kids. (laughs) For the kids. Awesome. Jess, thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow. 
or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.